Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. You can also check out my Audible on Amazon. It's on the African-American Athlete. And and just want to let you guys know, I am the champion of Madden, NCAA Live, and NBA Live 1998, Draper Hall at Sac State. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, uh, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida A&M, and The History of Black College Football. Hey, Lou, we are back uh, for the third time in like two weeks, man. We had to do an emergency. Not, not two weeks, in like six days, but yes. Six, six days. We're hot. This is our this is our last episode of 2020. Uh, we are, we're we're like a pro- professional show. We are going on uh, Christmas break hiatus, um, and we will be back in 21. But before we do that, we wanted to have uh, a, an important show because as many of us with kids are preparing for the holidays and we are getting together our uh, kids Christmas list as well as our own Christmas list. Uh, one of the things that is on everyone's list is a PS5 or a new Xbox Series X. I can't never keep it. They need a better naming for Xbox, just to be honest. Um, and uh, and, uh, you know, Madden, uh, Switch games, all this technology and gaming culture. And it was an idea. I said, Lou, we got to have uh, Dr. Kishana Gray on to have her come talk to us and explain this world of gaming. In particular, before we get into the Christmas list stuff, is that colleges, including the University of Kentucky, are investing millions of dollars into esports. And so to understand this entire technological world with the 1998 champion from Sac State, uh, as well as uh, I didn't win anything at Maryland in those days, but we are happy, happy to welcome to the pod, Dr. Kashana Gray. No fanfare, no, no we, clapping. We, we, yeah, we, don't, we don't have a budget. We don't have that budget. Wait a minute. Y'all just had that dope budget. introduction, the beautiful song, and the music, and I don't get no fanfare. That's okay. That's that's, okay. That's, that's, we spent all our budget that, on the intro. <laughs> 21. We need new budget. You know, budget. <laughs> Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate I appreciate you all inviting me to the show. Thank so, you. So we got to, you know, first of all, I'm so excited. I, I was telling Lou, uh, I saw... Uh, Dr. Gray at this conference last year and she was doing this thing. And I was like, wait, is she talking to like critical race theory and gaming? And then she put up a slide of Assassin's Creed. And I'm like, where are we at? Like, I was like, what is this? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, and then in the course of this conversation that at this conference, uh, I found out that she is from the greatest state in the union. The great state of Kentucky. Hey. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, and so then I'm like, oh, man, this is fantastic. And then you had a new book come out, Intersectional Tech, Black Users and Digital Gaming. And then I'm like, oh, she's got a new book. Congratulations. And then I looked up, lo and behold, you have four books. <laughs> Doing the most. Doing the most. Doing the most. Doing the most. So for our listeners who like to write all these bibliographies down, we have Race, Gender, and Deviance in Xbox Live. She has Woke Gaming, Digital Challenges to Oppression and Social Injustice, and Feminism in Play. Uh, this This is an amazing set of scholarship 
that I am so happy to have stumbled upon. And it's even better that you are like my cool cousin from around the way in Kentucky. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. It's, it's been wild, you know, and I'll say, you know, and I understand, you know, I've got, you know, with all those books, like, but, but I think it's important to like note that a lot of those books was because of academia often, you know, extend the goalposts, you know, you all are sports, you know, uh, podcast. So I'm trying to keep the metaphors and analogies, you know, appropriate, but they keep moving the goalposts, you know, especially for, you know, like, uh, for folks of color and, and for women, women of color, you know, especially, um, you know, so for instance, you know, like intersectional tech was supposed to be like my post tenure book, you know, but you know, my institution right now was like, Hey, we, we want another book. So, you know, I had to put, put it out like a little earlier than I wanted to, but, but I, it's still, so I, I, I always, you know, as much as I am, you know, impressed with, you know, the, the body of scholarship that I have produced, you know, it's part of like that tenure track hustle. And I think it's important to like acknowledge that, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to want to go and just say, Oh, it's because I love writing and you know, it's great. You know, it's because yeah. academia has demanded it, you know? So, you know, I just wanted to make sure, you know, just, I, I, just, I always had to put out that disclaimer, you know? No, no, that, Hey, you know what? You should just say, I like writing these books because these are, <laughs> this is, this is because you were like, and you need a new you need a new institution. I'm not even gonna say anything about it. <laughs> no, that's right. And like, like this is crazy. Um, Absolutely, uh, I ain't, so, I'm not gonna disagree with you. No, okay, we got we got breaking news when we follow up in 2021. That's what the crowd got. <laughs> breaking news in here. So, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh. So, Doctor Gray. And so, Dr. Gray, before we get too far off task, I want to I, I started at University of Kentucky in uh, early this year, 2020. And one of the first kind of big announcements we had is that we were spending, I don't know, some millions of dollars and remodeling a part of the garage for an esports center at the mm. University of Kentucky. And I was like, wait, we're doing esports. I mean, we do a lot of sports, but I didn't understand we were having this kind of investment. And uh, and it opened my eyes into this broader world in which uh, universities and colleges are really investing uh, money about esports. Can you explain for our listeners who are probably more savvy in traditional sports what is esports and and how does this fit into the athletic or, or, or gaming uh, landscape? Yeah, absolutely. I think for. Um I'm guessing like a lot of your listeners are a part of the sports world, right? So it's not far-fetched to make like the linkages between like traditional sports and what we are calling like esports. So esports is like a realm of like video games that are like played competitively, right? You know, so these e-athletes, you know, what what they're called, you know, they'll they'll practice, they have teams, they're organized, you know, they get together, you know, either on college campuses and high schools or just people, you know, that just have some money and like, you know, sign up for like tournaments, you know, so they're they are playing competitively like to win, you know, and they're they're, they're winning for trophies, you know, they're winning for their uh, monies involved in, in a lot of these things. So it really like uh, mirrors like, you know, just traditional sports that you have the, you know, the, the cream of the crop, you know, the best of the best, you know, you put these teams together and then you have the people who compete with one another. So they're playing games like, you know, Smash Brothers and League of Legends. Um, they're playing Call of Duty, Gears of War, you know, they're playing PC games and console games. So it really is like an entire industry. It is a global industry. And I think one of the, probably one of the, the 
one of the the industries that maybe like your listeners like might be more interested in is like the industry, um, the esports industry, like around uh, NBA uh, 2K sports. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. around um, you know the, the basketball game that that a lot of folks have played. You know, they they had just last year. I think we're on the upcoming is our the third year that the NBA um, uh, 2K league has existed, and they actually have full on drafts. Like they had an NBA draft for esports athletes, and they were recruiting they're recruiting you know <laughs> esports athletes for their teams right so people back up so, so who's drafted like i because i never understand it so like the golden state warriors as a basketball team yeah. are drafting esport athletes to represent the warriors in no. nba live or 2k no. or whatever it is so. well for the most part these teams are independent of their uh nba you know counterparts because not every nba team has an esports uh, has an nba 2k team right i think um like for instance rick fox he's like one of the biggest faces you know that that mm-hmm. like one of the crossover faces like from from um from the nba to um to two uh to the 2k league um but uh, they they're independent they have their own names they have their own merchandise like they have their own like 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 jerseys and stuff so um uh, most most of the times they're independent of of one another and they're not actually like connected but i think the nba has like recognized the huge amount of like um potential you know the profit potential and the money that that could be made um but also just like the pr you know pr and marketing you know that's that's naturally like inherent um inherent you know with something like this so they have like jumped on board um and i think that that's that's been like a recent trend you know that's something that that wasn't like present within the space like early on but i think you know rick fox was like one of the first ones that that i think he was like one of the first nba player i think shaquille o'neal has like a team i mean you can easily you can google it you know i don't i don't know much about you know like the ownership behind you know these esports teams but you know a lot of prominent names you know people that you know have esports teams because you know they have the money to buy into it and and to have a team so it's 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 huge even though you know a lot of folks may not know about it it's really huge which is why i I, i'm gonna tell you Derek, i i was shocked that a lot of the larger teams weren't um didn't jump on board sooner you know so like for me i thought it was a natural transition you know for like a lot of our top you know, powerhouse conferences and teams to develop esports, but that hasn't really happened. I think that UK might be one of the first, um, maybe one of the only, you know, powerhouse like sports team sports um, uh, um, teams that has uh, esports. Um, because a lot of these esports teams, you know, you have like uh, Illinois Wesleyan has a pretty, you know, um, a, a pretty significant team. Univers- UC Irvine, University of California at Irvine, University of Hawaii, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not like your big powerhouse like sports places. And, um, but, and I'm gonna I'm shut up, but I just want to make this point because I know you might have like other follow up questions. I think it's really um, interesting that a lot of these, um, uh, I don't want, I don't want to call them like lower tier. They're just not powerhouses. Right. Um, but a lot of them have identified like the, the money making potential with esports, and they have like jumped on the bandwagon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the, the big schools are like actually behind, you know, because for instance, like, you know, UC Irvine is like the place to go. So think about like when a, when a young basketball player is being recruited, like out of, you know, out of high school and he's like, he's looking at like, Oh, UK or Florida or Texas or whatever, you know, the powerhouse teams are. I'm so sorry. I don't know these things. You all have to fill me in. Like, who's, <laughs> all right. the powerhouse, who's the powerhouse basketball team right now? Who's like, uh, where's I the place know. to go? 
Uh, you know, same places, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, uh, those are oh, the yes. same places. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, perfect. Okay. So let's say, you know, whereas like Duke and UK, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, an athlete might be like, oh, I have to pick between these two schools. Like, so it would be like UC Irvine and like Hawaii is like the, like the place where esports athletes want to go. Like they're trying to figure out how they can like, you know, gain entrance and, and, um, not all schools have, have like that, that the pathway that I see UK actually build. Which is actually, you know, UK is actually doing something pretty, pretty impressive and pretty like groundbreaking because I think they also are putting money up for scholarships. Am I mistaken, Derek? I think that's right. Right. I think that, I think that was part of the the commitment, which was really shocking in terms yeah. of 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 where this is. And and I did did a little bit of re- I did do a little homework. Somebody has to do homework on this show. Yes, it's absolutely. Like, we, Thank you. We we just alternate. It's usually me or Lou. I don't know which week it is. It's my week, I think. And uh, uh, that these teams are spending uh, scholarships, which is unusual, but we're also, because they're outside the NC2A, that they're like, they can make money while being on this collegiate esport team, right? I think that there's a really kind of interesting kind of dynamic in way. Uh, I just want to follow up on your point that you talked about. I, I looked this up. Rick Fox, of course, for folks who know, former Laker, former Celtic, uh, former uh, television star, uh, and uh, Michael Jordan now has a part of a esports team. Shaquille O'Neal, uh, I think I saw Drake owns a team. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a large number of people who are really getting into this esport market as owners uh, or as as lead investors in terms of this. Um, and so this is a fascinating thing, and I think this is 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 interesting to keep an eye on in terms of how uh, universities are going to navigate these kind of dual interests of, of traditional kind of collegiate sports uh, along with esports. I think that there's a, there's a management question about who manages them, uh, you know, marketing yep. uh, gear. Um, yeah. Or they're housed oh, at that. One of yeah. the, that was one, one fight that some people were like, okay, are we housed in athletics or are we housed in student affairs? Mm. You know? Yeah. Like just th- those kinds of questions, you know, and, and even, you know, you just have me thinking about Derek, like, so let's say if, you know, um, you know, we have a, a young, a young man that's like on the football team and, you know, as a scholarship, you know, athlete, student athlete, can he, can he be a part of an esports team, a team that has the potential to generate money? Probably not. Probably oh not. my. But, yeah, like, but the other thing too is uh, eligibility. Right, like, are these guys? Do they have to have grade requests? Because all I know, these e, you esports people stay up late and playing video games. I don't know how you're gonna get your homework done. Uh, but uh, <laughs> for our history class, right, right, for our history class. But if you're not in the NCAA, there's no, there's probably no grade, there's probably no like 2.0 or you got to be graduating type deal requirements or anything like that so it can be until the ncaa comes ncaa comes in i can see it could be kind of like the wild wild west right where these schools are making up their own rules right to 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 get an advantage right after as they invest millions and millions of dollars and they cut you know programs like real uh, education programs so yeah i i was in like a, a twitter kerfuffle with somebody who had um I think it was, I I had mentioned, I think it was Illinois uh, Wesleyan, you know, they had just announced like, um, they had announced like cuts to like some of their humanities, like they're cutting French and, you know, cutting something, you know, some programs along those lines. And then the next day they announced like a a commitment to, to esports and to building like an esports arena. Now, granted, you know, on, so 
the optics look terrible, right? You know, and, and I was like, and, and, and like for people like on the outside, like looking in, you know, some people could be like, oh, well, you're not committed, you know, to like traditional academics, you know, you're not committed to the traditional student, you know, you're committed to the thing that like makes money. And these are some of the things that I'm like learning. Like a lot of times those things are like, the budgets are completely different, you know, it might have be like different lines of money and, di- you know, but, but, but the optics of it, like just look terrible. You know, and I think, you know, these institutions have to like think about that. You know, what are you trading? What if in our minds, it looks like like a direct trade. Okay, we're going to shut these programs down so we can have money to funnel over here. And I think that they haven't really thought that that through about what that actually looks like. Right. So even now, like with UK, you know, building this arena, like I don't I'm guessing you all like fared fairly well during COVID. Did you all have like layoffs or furloughs or, you know, things like that? Yeah, we had a we we um we had to furlough early on, uh, but we've had most of our faculty and staff back. Um, you know, I think it's been you know I think the budget is a mess. Like I'm not going to lie to you here, right? But I think um, more broadly, I think this is what esports is getting into and what their experience is is really a common conversation that we talk about on this pod quite regularly, right? That that the athletic department money is always separate or most always separate from the traditional kind of budgets that govern academic affairs. And, but at the same time, when you're building a new locker room, right. And a new jumbo board and the library's leaking, like you, you've got your priorities out of it whack. Looks bad. Right? Like it it's, looks a, it's, bad. it's a priority question, right? Like it doesn't matter how, like it, it matters very little about where the money comes from. Um, because what it seems is what we've done. I think this is Lou's point about, you know, their grades, right? It's like, how are we balancing the curricular with the extracurricular, right? And it's not to say that gaming, it can't be part of the curriculum. Uh, I read that Ohio State is developing kind of a digital gaming major that's supposed to be uh, coming out in 20, supposed to come out this year, but I think they postponed it because of COVID. Um, uh, so that's part of the curriculum. So that's a very different conversation than we're creating this e-gaming, this esports team, uh, and then we're going to put some, we're going to raise some development money outside for that when your library may at some institution. You know, like those are really interesting right. kind of development questions. And you know, is it new money and old money? Like those are above my pay grade. But the optics, I think you're right. The optics, um, uh, it makes the people who work in PR, right, who are in charge of that, much more difficult when they're adding another thing that is taking away from uh, the traditional mission of the university. That's right. Right. And it to me, too, like um, Dr. Gray had brought up this point earlier, but it's I could see smaller schools or even a school that I'm at Grand Valley getting into it because that's the path that they're they've put themselves on to get students right and so to get students mm. since we're at we're we're competing we're not competing with michigan or michigan state for students we're competing with central michigan western michigan ferris state so what do we all do we build we build new buildings right like we 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 did all these things for for to, to attract students and then we tried to make our campus student friendly so the next phase is okay let's put a section of our brand new $75 million library that we still have to pay the bill on. Now let's dedicate a section in the library to esports. And I think that's where these smaller schools are going because eventually if, if let's say Western Michigan builds something and you know, the admin or, or the, the board thinks, Oh, you know, they're getting a thousand more students than us. Then the next thing is we're going to build it. Right. And then if we build it, another school will build it. And I think that's going to, that creates right 
opportunity to to then totally invest in esports because that's how they see it, right? Like, how do I get students in? Even if you're not esports, we're competing. All these schools are starting to build places for students to play mm-hmm. video games, right? Because they think that's what gets them there. It's no longer attracted them to 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 the education, right? It's attracted right. them to stay on campus because you want that money. Absolutely. Well, let me ask, you know, because I don't think I think, you know, ASU may have been like the only kind of like big big sports school that I was at. But 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 I mean, it's the pack. It's the pack. What are they? Pack 12, pack 10. They don't they don't they don't count. (laughs) They count. They count. (laughs) We have some some very wonderful listeners in California and in Arizona. But like, is that like a, one of the ways, you know, because, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, what you just said about bringing students in, like, how do we draw them in? You know, because I'm guessing one of the big draws for like a University of Kentucky is that big blue nation, you know, Kentucky mm-hmm. Wildcats, you know, are those uh, it, that those are traditional pathways to like recruiting students? Like, you know, I'm, I've never been like admin. And so these aren't conversations that I've ever had to like really like think about, you know, but is that is that like a, a way to to get students? Is that and well, then I'm thinking, go ahead. No, no. I think I think it depends on the institution, right? I think Kentucky is always worried about its margins, um, and and the folks who are in enrollment management uh, are always worried about small uh, quibbles in the data, right? Too many. Like two years ago, um, before I uh, accepted a job here, there was a big story about too many students had accepted to live on campus at UK, right? Which is like, a, which is a, both a terrible problem to have, yeah. but also an amazing problem to have because you've got more students than you want to have. And so that means you're like thinking, hey, well, that just means we need to build more dorms, right? Like this is the way we're thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then of course the pandemic hit and we don't know what any of these numbers are going to look like. Yeah, But I think your lose point about getting them to stay on campus is also a big part of it. I think there's also a real fear to lose, you know, how do you attract people from regional institutions to make sure they come to the flagship? What makes, you know, University of Kentucky very different than, say, University of Michigan is we are probably it's 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 easier to get into the University of Kentucky than it is the University of Michigan. So we are actually in competition in ways with some of the regional institutions that uh, other flagships are not. So we're probably closer to Arizona State. Which is like at like uh, you know I don't know they're like eighty thousand or hundred thousand students with but they do all their online stuff yeah. so they re- they they've committed all in to being the largest school in the country yeah both yeah. on campus and online oh yeah um, so Kentucky's in, is trying to figure out if it wants to 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 you know how does it do it because it sees itself as a much part of a, a traditional campus uh, and and I think that their fear is that they can't really commit to the online portion as much in part because Kentucky as a state just is not has been tech you know you've been you're from here yeah. so like yeah. there are parts of the state that we just technology just has a hard time penetrating extremely rural um, you know, Absolutely. technology, broadband, all those kinds of issues are really, uh, really serious issues as this pandemic has exposed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and I think one of the, 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 the reason I had asked that question, cause then I, I guess I'm wanting to see what, what your thoughts are on like, what then might that recruitment pathway look like with esports? Like, I mean, cause I mean, most of us, like we, 
nobody's getting ready to walk on to like no UK basketball team. You're not getting ready to go try out for the team. And but but esports presents like this different thing. You know, it's like, hey, my I could actually be good enough to make this team and to be on that team. And, you know, I this could pay for like my school. And so, you know, as much as I, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, some of the similarities that people like make between, you know, traditional sports and esports, like there are some there are some big, you know, huge differences, you know, like yeah. um, the, the physical, the physicalness is not something that, you know, like esports athletes have to think about, which is why I was just reading a, a Twitter thread where a lot of these teams, they have to like incorporate like the exercise component, you know, mm-hmm. that they don't work out. They don't get up. They're sitting there like all day long. So they have to, you know, get up and like, like work out, you know, so in thinking Dreaming. about when, right? <laughs> hey guys, it's me. It's your boy. I'm like, oh God. Whenever my kids watch that stuff, like, this is the worst. This is... <laughs> Right. But, but then thinking about like that curriculum, you know, what does that, the, the curriculum like look like around them? You know, they got built in PE form, you know, but you know, one of the other things that I think is like so fascinating about these conversations is just how different the demographic looks of the esport athlete, right? Mm-hmm. You know, traditional sports, when we think about, you know, those, the big money making sports at a, at a school, you know, it's, it's, it's black kids, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, that, that make up, you know, the bulk of like these teams and esports athletes are, you know, major, you know, mostly, white secondarily you know east asian you know men you know um and and i think you know and i think that's what's like so fascinating around like the conversation so um i was reading a thread about how a lot of the um there was like a, a cohort of like some esports esports athletes that were trying to they weren't trying to unionize but i'm just gonna like use the word like unionize so they were trying to like uh get together to avoid being taken over by the ncaa Mm. Right. You know, they recognize like the power that the NCAA would have over them. They would lose like their autonomy. And and I think that that's something, you know, I don't know anything about like some of the organizing, you know, that we may have seen or trying to get protections. But I saw a lot more of it like during COVID. Right. You know, mm-hmm. about like, hey, are, do these student athletes have rights? You know, do they you know, I'm thinking about, you know, the, po- you know, the poor athlete that, you know, we just heard the news about, you know, the them collapsing like on the court, you know, or, or their protections for them. You know, what what's. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they're drugs. Yeah. Yeah. All, all, absolutely. These guys want to smoke their drugs. Right. You know, so, and, but I just think it's like fascinating because I don't, you know, of course, the NCAA, you know, has like a a long history, but it's really interesting to be able to see esports history unfolding, like, and see what the conversations like look like. And I was just fascinated by that conversation that these young, these young, it was white, it was a team of white, white men, you know, and they recognized just the, the overreach of the NCAA and they didn't want want any parts of it they do not well, want the t- go ahead no, i was gonna say because the the moment you started saying that the other thing that comes up is is once the ncaa gets involved now it's now there now my guess is it's a title nine issue too right and so now now it's just not all white guys playing or all, all, yeah. all men playing now all of a sudden it's scholarships involved right it's it's a limited amount of and, and it might actually look like less less guys, right? So if the NCAA gets involved and you become an NCAA institution, now all of a sudden you got to, let's say, you have to have 20 players, right? And if you have 20 guys, right, well, you'll probably have more girl scholarships just the way it works out because yeah. you have yep. to balance that out, right? You're Absolutely. not going to create a guy without a girl's team. Or maybe because you still have a, a – you know, Kentucky has 85 scholarships on a football team and they don't have a woman's sport that looks like that. It might just maybe be all, all of a sudden. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. The guys get bumped out. Right. And so maybe part of that is 
not only protecting their own dollars because once the NCA comes in, you're not making money, right? But also protecting them, <laughs> protecting themselves, right? Absolutely. And they probably can't afford something. One quick, one quick question that's so fascinating to me: Are there black women esport athletes that we should know about? Hold on, yeah. I want to, I want to inter- Can I? I want to before Wait, she does it because I was about to go off. No, 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 no. yourself from playing right now and, and talking no, no, at no, no, no. no. I, I wanted to because I wanted before you go in. Can I just say because the reason I even knew who you were is on that same thread that we had esports. Yeah. Aaron Simon, who mm-hmm. is a UK grad. It was a huge profile. So I just wanted to, I was about to ask about her. So I want you to start with her and then introduce us to the rest of the world. Absolutely. There are tons of women, tons of black women, tons of women of all colors that are a part of, of the esports world. And I think, and I got introduced to Erin, um, Erin Ashley. Um, so I guess we can just, you know, shout her out. Like she's just like, um, She's huge, like in in like the the world. She's like a, a big face. I think I saw her doing commentary on an esports event. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm guessing I don't want to you know mischaracterize her, but she's like a player. She's also raising money for like HBCUs, like to make sure that there's you know like um, equitable like attention like given to like you know esports like on HBCU. So she's really doing like has like a major role at like making sure that black folks are a prominent feature of like, like these conversations. So you should check her out, you know, anything that I should add, you know, cause I want to make sure that they, you know, I, you know, of course honor her, you know, the things that she's done. Um, let me, let me look her up actually real quick just to see if there's, so I just want people to go and follow her on, on Twitter, Aaron, a Simon, E R I N A S I M O N. Go follow her. Um, well, some of the other folks that like I follow, uh, there's um, Tanya DePaz, um, Zombie Kills. Um, these are, of course, their gamer tags. Um, Janae Benet. There are there there are like lists and lists and lists. Like if you even if you follow like Black Girl Gamers, Black Girl Gamers Black Girl has Gamers. yes, they have like a community of you know tens of thousands of Black women, uh, you know, across the globe. Like it really is a they are reflective of the diaspora. You know, they've got you know Black women, you know, in Europe and the United States. You know, Black Black women that you know are, are Brazilian. Like so, they really have covered like you know like the the whole diaspora uh, with their platform. There's something called you know Brown Girl Gamer Code, you know. So there, these folks are out here. But the thing, the thing is, is and I think the console war kind of I don't want to call it a war, but the release of the, the consoles kind of illustrated just how much that they're still left out and they don't get access to it. So you know these companies, you know, release um you know these consoles and give like free you know they give free consoles to people, of course, to put them on you know like sponsorship and you know all that that whole marketing kind of thing. Black women are left out of that. So there were like um you know black women have like huge platforms, but black women are have not been able to like take advantage of like you know those big you know pr spots of like you know unveiling or doing like you know the the reveal of like the xbox or the playstation and you know a lot of black women have like highlighted that that it's still hard for us to be seen as like legitimate like gamers like within the space so there are still some 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 barriers you know to to participation and access that i think a lot of you know black women are still are 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 highlighting so you know i don't want to just you know say that everything's all hunky-dory you know just because you got a few of us out here, you know, there are some, there are some 
deep concerns, you know, that a lot of a lot of folks have. And I think that's one of the things that just concerns me so much, you know, about like esports, because it's one of those things that's getting framed as, you know, like 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 a boys thing. You know, it's boys and men, you know, are playing it. And um, and that was something oh, there was another thread. Let me tell you all about this. Story. I'm sorry. I'm gonna shut up. So y'all can. Y'all can <laughs> no, 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 no. This is why we have you on. <laughs> So there was this thread where, you know, a group, there was a team, you know, it was full of, full of white guys. They did, they did not want to like open up any spots for like any, any women, um, for their team. And, you know, and that was, and, um, somebody, another, another group of guys had highlighted, you know, how problematic that was. And they, they said that it's because, you know, these guys are, they're so fragile that they don't want to be beat by girls and they don't want the girls like on their team and they might want to have sex with their teammates. And then they'll, they're going to have to get rejected because, you know, they're going to be rejected. And, and so it's like so many layers and like, and women just want to play and they have to worry about all these extra layers, you know, because of like, you know, fragile masculinity. So there, there are so, so many layers. Um, and also like we we can't just ignore the fact that a lot of these people are like still racist like I mean think about think about like the nerd culture when you were in in college like think about how problematic like folks were and then you have these folks that have like huge amounts of access to the admin let's face it you know a lot of them you know it was a long time coming right so they didn't they didn't automatically get money but like a lot of these folks are like getting money you know student affairs is giving them money they're hosting tournaments for them and they're Mm -hmm. getting like all these like resources but then they're like I don't want girls on my team and so you know there's like how do you like cut through that because if they have like the designation of like a club like I don't I don't know much about like student affairs but I guess there are not parameters on like inclusivity on like developing like a club and so that's where a lot of like our I'm sorry I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you but that's like the history of like a lot of esports on campuses like they started off as like clubs just people getting together to play Smash Brothers and you know and then they finally get like the attention of the admin and they'll throw a little money at them and then you know the whole culture of esports is falling down around them and then these are the people who are in the prime position to be able to be the first first esports team like on your campus you know so those are the kinds of things that I want to I want I want to make sure that universities like detach from that model of just like you know making making these clubs be a shoe in you know to like the esports team I think there needs to be you know the recruiting process you know tryouts like all those things so it's fair and equitable because I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen that if we open it up in that manner I mean, overlooking like all the barriers that it takes to just enter a university and to gain an entrance and to get admission, right? So just mm-hmm. ignoring all that, um, they are these teams are going to look very black and brown, and it's going to look heavily woman. It's going to be, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. because they're they're leaving these folks out. I'm gonna tell you another story. I'm so sorry, I talk so much. Y'all can tell no, me. No, no, no. There was there was um I had it was a couple of years ago um um there were in the time before COVID, the before times. Um, before times. What was, was that? <laughs> <laughs> right? There was a very generous group of uh, esports team. I'm not going to name, you know, the school that they were at, but they were doing like some, you know, like, you know, volunteering kind of stuff. And they were doing some cool stuff like with me, with some students, like on the South side here in Chicago. And one of the things, you know, we set up kind of like a tournament, you know, they were playing together. Right. And these young kids, these black kids whooped, they asses y'all they were playing all these games and they they the black kids they were shocked they were shocked and they were trying they were in in their mind 
they're looking at these kids as the have-nots, you know, the poster children for the digital divide. And they're, they just can't figure out why are these kids so good at Mortal Kombat? Why are these kids so good at Street Fighter? Why are these kids so good at like Smash Brothers? Well, there, there are a couple of reasons why, right? You know, one of the things that I had to, um, uh, I was talking to a friend, like these kids, their internet is so bad. So they have to like overcome so much for just the minimum. So they've had to work so hard, you know, just to participate. Even the same with mm. Fortnite. They are so good at Fortnite because, you know, they're, they get, you know, Wi-Fi from McDonald's. Like that's not, that's not just like a joke. That's like real, real stuff. That's a real reality for like a lot of folks. Right. But they are having to overcompensate so much. And then they're, they're working so hard that whenever, whenever things, all things are equal, like they just shine in, in, in their, and in, in overshadow like their competitors. And I, I don't know how else, to, and they're just naturally good. You know, these things just come naturally to them. But I just knew that if those, if those, you know, poor black and brown kids, you know, just had like the access, you know, they would be there. They would be making all the money. They would be on these teams. And that's one of the reasons that I was starting that program that, you know, one of my, my, my post, you know, tenure kind of like project was really like trying to, um, you know, working in, in conjunction with like, you know, different HBCUs, but making sure that there was like a pathway, you know, from middle school and high school so that these kids could be primed and t- to be ready to to gain entrance into colleges, right? I want to make sure that, that you know, not only would I, I, I foresee them, you know, I've been trying to get like a grant to get some money to support this. So not only would they be like practicing and, and you know, developing like within the game, but we'll get mentoring for them. We'll get tutoring for them. I even had like, you know, a counselor, I, I was building in like a, a counselor to, to be able to respond to like crises that the students might face or face like food insecurities. You know, I want to make sure that they had, you know, prep for the SAT and the ACT, you know, so that they could, they could just be ready. And I really think that gaming could really be that vehicle and that tool that could get some of these folks, you know, like, like just like a different way and a different model that we go to where they are to like get them, you know, in, into college. Right. Um, I don't, I, I said a whole lot right there. I'm so sorry. No, no, I, no, I, I want to, that's amazing. That sounds like an amazing program. And so for our listeners who have grant money, who are uh, funders, uh, all, all, all six of you, um, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe it's six hundred. We would pretend it's six hundred, uh, but this is a this sounds like a worthy program. And in many ways, it sounds like you're really talking about the same ways we talk about sports in inner cities, right, Lou? Like that, like you know, right. like like they've got all this particular skill and we have to build the other kind of infrastructure around them and give them tutoring and give it so that they can in, enhance, take the thing that they're good at and turn it into an overarching kind of opportunity uh, in terms of higher education. I think that's a fantastic. And I think that we don't talk about esports in that way. We talk about, uh, I think esports is like, look, we got an esports team. Congratulations. But we're not really talking about that. You're talking about, you know, making, you know, who is the team and how, how is it made and constructed? Um, you know, that's recruiting. That's the stuff I love. I love. I mean, I just spent a whole episode. Yeah, there it goes. Well, so, two, it's like it reminds me. You're a Maryland guy, like uh, lacrosse, right? How do we get lacrosse into to to some of these uh, mm-hmm. these places, right? And and there's all these programs. That's what I was thinking when we talk about putting uh esports or just into these places, right? Because to play lacrosse, you have to have the equipment. You have to have the equipment. It's just it's cost prohibitive, right? This the one thing about about youth sports, and it sounds like you see the same thing with esports is is access, right? For esports, 
you have to have that fast Wi-Fi. You have to have that fast gaming computer. My kids ask me all the time. I'm like, why do you need that? You're good. Like, we're, have you seen my internet bill? You guys got that good stuff. If not, that's not the reason why you're losing. Uh, but, but it, you know, if you don't have those things, right? Like you said, if you're having to play at McDonald's, right, you're you're going to be behind yeah. until until you get those things. It's the same thing with with lacrosse or or fencing or 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 soccer, right? Mm-hmm. Like these very hockey, right? These sports. This is what it is. It it, it prices people out. That's right. Um, yeah. Right. So no, that's a, that's fantastic. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. I want. I know we're along, but I I do. I don't. I don't want to miss this opportunity to talk about one of the things you do in your book is you talk about the characters inside the games, and this is the thing that I saw in, in your presentation that I I want that really just wowed me because. Let's just be honest, right? Like um, uh, video games have become closer and closer in terms of the way they look like movies. And they mm-hmm. carry they carry many of the same problematic, stereotypical images that 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 black media has been fighting against really since stormy weather in the 1930s, right? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, Oscar. I'd Michelle. rather play a maid than be a male. Right. Like Oscar Michelle, Sorry. right? Like, you know, we're going all the way back. Oh, he named your Oscar Michelle. Wow. Within our gate. Yeah. You didn't think I could name this movie. Yeah. That's right. Black Study. Body and Soul. Right. That's right. Yeah. All the way Sorry. up into a new realm of, of games. And, and so, you know, are there any games that have, um, for our listeners and for us as well, that we should be paying attention to that have really complex and interesting representation of mm. African-American men and women? Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic question. I'm glad you asked, asked that. Um, I think one of the things we have to like first like look at is like um, we have to, I like looking at like the lineage, right? And like looking at like the, the genealogy of like seeing, because I think it's important um, so for me, like I could point to like a game like Watch Dogs or Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry and say, these are like pillars ooh, of like, you know, I got that like one. black representation right. or, you know, like black depictions, you know, that are progressive, you know. Um, but then we will miss a, like a whole history of what has gone wrong and where all the missteps were, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like painting like that picture of like, okay, this is like what we had before and previously. This is what, what existed like before. Um, I think it's very, um, very telling, right? That the majority of like black characters have historically have always just been rooted in the sports genre, right? Right. Um, you know, so back from like the first time, you know, black faces like appeared on Madden or Tecmo. I don't even think that, do they have black people on Tecmo? I don't even. Hey, uh, so this is now you're uh, officially in my wheelhouse here. Uh, yeah, yeah, here we go. Here, here we go. go. Thank you. For, here yeah, we go. Total love. Like this is like the. You, know, you messed up now. You <laughs> messed up. Uh, got it. So the Tecmo Bowl characters themselves did not necessarily have faces, but when they used the screen, like when they said touchdown or something like that, then they had black faces and they painted the, the pixelization was brown. Was like brown. Yeah. Yeah. Bo Jackson was brown. Yeah. 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 So that's just, Laura Taylor was hard. It was hard to stop because he was brown. Right. This is how you knew who the guy was. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So, so are you, so I want to be clear about what you're saying, you know, cause I don't, I'm not a historian of video games, you know, by any means. Right. So I rely on folks like you to help give me, you know, that, that, that over, 
broad overview of it. So, so you're saying, so if I'm playing the game and I'm looking at the pixelated characters, you're saying some of them were, are brown, right? And I even remember like the high scores documentary, you know, um, Gordon, you know, the person that was, yeah. was saying that, you know, he, he fought to make sure that, that the characters were black. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, happened right, right. like in the mid nineties. Right. I want to make sure to get, get like the timeline. Right. Um, <sighs> That was that was before that was Tecmo Bowl was in the eighties. Tecmo Bowl was eighties, so that's a Nintendo. Um, so like Tyson, like the Tyson's Punch Out, for example, is a great example. Yeah. Uh, Teller racist characters, but you know Tyson's black. Um, yeah. Who's the other black fighter? Sandman's black, but then it, it it's got the the racist trope, right? It's of uh, every country. The yeah. Indian yeah. fighter. Um, from Japan. Believe, like, um, his yeah. name is Tiger. You got Honda. Yeah. For Japan and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got you. RBI Baseball, they're black. Uh, right. The black players are black, right? Ozzy yeah. Smith is black. Tecmo Bowl, they're, they're black. Yeah. Right. So even think about with Street Fighter. Did you all play Street Fighter, like, coming up? Um, was that even, the one where the guy's doing, like, the Capoeira? Or yeah, Blanca from Brazil and Dolphin. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the only yeah. guy I'd beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I just pushed him up the buttons. And then I think the black guy was, like, a boxer. Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, they, something like that, yeah. yeah. So a lot of these uh, games, you know, really pretty much like in the fighting genre, you know, it fit like the, the stereotype and, and like the trope. I, I feel like, you know, I wish I had, you know, I wish I was better, pre- better prepared, like for this question, like to give the listeners like, okay, this was like the first black character, but, but that's not even necessary. I guess I'm going to talk about like the black character that like went platinum, you know, uh, CJ from San Andreas. Like, you know, the, the, you know, the character from, you know, Grand Theft Auto, you know, when I, I, I see that character, you know, wasn't, he wasn't the first black character in a game, you know, by, by far, because, you know, black characters had existed, but I think that there was something to having like this detailed narrative, like in a game, you know, so, you know, Rockstar, you know, had done like a good job, you know, they were like the, the, the pillars of like putting like these narratives, like within the games. But then you think like the first time that maybe they could, they, they, told the story of like a, a black person in their game, you know, they told like the story of like inner city life. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that like folks like miss, you know, cause I don't want to just say that this game is racist and had problematic, you know, like images or whatever. I think, you know, the opening scene of, did you all play this? Did you all, was this, was this outside um, of your, yeah, I, your game? In Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. Was it Grand, Theft Auto? Grand Theft Auto is the end of like near the end, but yeah, our yeah. listeners, our listeners, our listeners know. Okay, yeah. okay. The opening scene of Grand Theft Auto was actually really powerful. So Officer Tenpenny is voiced by Samuel Jackson. Um, and so he is this character, you know, so CJ gets out of jail, he's ready to, you know, put his life back on the right path, you know, that whole narrative. And Officer Tenpenny basically says, Oh, hell no, you ain't. You still are gonna run this criminal enterprise for us. You know, it tells the story of like crooked cops and uh, you know, police overuse and abuse of power. And so I had high hopes for this game, but I kind of feel like that that was just overshadowed by the game's like larger like criminal elements, and it just rooted it normalized you know criminality and black life. You know, it normalized you know you know being from the ghetto and always being in the hood and like there there's no way to like escape and you know and and it, it you know it it normalized you know a bunch of like you know problematic like like and when I say escape, I mean no way to like escape the drug life. Like there's no I'm not a part of like the narrative of saying hey we need to leave our hoods like to be successful like that's that's not I didn't mean I didn't mean that um but I think it was just very interesting that you know Rockstar said that they you know because they're they're a company from Europe 
they are a European country. And they said that they drew their inspiration from media outlets from like the 90s. So basically, Boys in the Hood, Minister Society, the, yeah. you know, news reports, that was the 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 inspiration for CJ from, from San Andreas. And they even, you know, incorporated, you know, like um, um, uh, I think DJ Pooh was a character. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the members of like NWA may have done like the sound or something like in the game. So it's really interesting, you know, just how, you know, a lot of the overlap, you know, and where they drew, you know, that inspiration from, right? Um, and then I'm just thinking like after that, you know, there, um, uh, we've had Dead Island. You know, I think that was like the first game that I played where it was a playable black woman. Perna Jackson, dope character in, in it's a zombie genre. You know, I know a lot of people don't like the zombie genre, but it was early on when zombies were cool. You know, it wasn't (laughs) cool zombies. Um, but that was the first time that I was actually able to play like a black woman. You know, she wasn't just like, you know, just like a side story or mission or just like, you know, a character like off to the side, I was able to play her. Um, uh, uh, interesting story. Um, you know how like most games, you know, like characters have like a a mode where where you have like your super move or like your alt move and like you just have a lot of power. Like, you know, so her her super power move was coded in the game as feminist whore. Like somebody what? actually wrote that into the code of the game. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yes, this black woman who had superpowers to, you know, just just go to town on these zombies. That's what they called it. And then they tried to say it was like an accident. Like, how do you accidentally well, what, type what in the power, word? Though? Say it again. What's the power? What is she? It was just she, like it was just like, like when you when you're like impervious to damage, like you can just beat up a oh, bunch okay. of zombies. Like, she goes like feminist whore. Yeah, oh, feminist whore. Like, really though, you know, like, and I just and and to me, I think that was just like so indicative of like you know this tech culture of you know not not acknowledging you know like black women and black women's contribution and not giving them the respect that they need. You know, it was just indicative of that. You know, and there's no telling. You know, they were probably mad that they even had to like create this diverse character in the first place. You know. Right. Probably, you know, they're like, oh, these social justice warriors, you know, at the time, that's not what folks would call. But, you know, it's basically like the precursor to that, you know, because I think Dead Island came out like in 2011. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm going to get to your question because I know you asked the question about what games, but I just wanted people to just like get like a background. Um, no, oh, no, go yes. ahead. Go ahead. No. There is another character um, that a game that folks, a lot of times, you know, folks recommend games to me, right? I'm not, um, you know, I, I don't know all the games. I don't claim to know all the games. You know, that's not, that's not the kind of scholar of games that I am. Um, somebody told me to play the walking dead and the walking dead telltale, you know, that was, you know, they had a video Mm -hmm. game, you know, and it was a really, it, 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 I read the reviews. There was a lot of like promise and people were saying, Oh, this is how, you know, black characters should be, should be done. It's progressive. It's not stereotypical. You know, they give him like, you know, like he's like a caretaker of a child. So they kind of show him like in a father figure. So, you know, we don't have many narratives of like black dads and stuff. So, you know, I thought I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm I'm gonna check this out. So I go and check this out. This would be the moment where I cue the opening scene of that game, where we would just watch it together. You would have to watch what I had to play and endure. When I was playing this game, the opening scene, they cut to a black man in the back of a police cruiser. Ooh. And I, and so, right. So I side eyed this game really hard. And I called my friend who, a white guy, you know, who was like, who was, and I was like, so friend, I'm playing this game. Kishani, what do you think about it? It's wonderful, isn't it? And I'm like, why is this black man 
in the back of a cop car. He's like, wait, 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 what? He completely forgot that that was the opening because in his mind, you know, you know, the police don't, don't signify much in his life, right? Mm-hmm. In a way that the police signifies for us. And and I told him, I was like, I am triggered watching watching this and I don't think that I could play it. And he said, well, Kishana, that's just a small, small part that doesn't even, you know, constitute the bulk of the game or anything. That's just a, you know, that he, he committed a crime and, you know, he was like arrested, but that's just like a small part. The game's not even going to do anything. And in that conversation, my friend told me, this, this is what my friend told me to try to get me to buy into this game and this character. He said, Kishana, you know, that character that's in the back of a police cruiser, he's actually a history professor at the University of Georgia. Now, I don't oh, know why he... That why, is... I'm not playing that game at all. I, listen, I turned it off. I'm like, why would you think you telling me that will make me want to play this game even more? Oh, I was like, no. why didn't we start in the classroom with him professing the history of Georgia or something? Like, why wouldn't we? Why, why do you think that the game had to authenticate his blackness in this way? Do you think that it wouldn't it wouldn't be sold to the to the to the gamer that like, oh, well, he's a professor, but he's black. You know, you know, the black professors don't exist. Like, I, I just don't know. And of course, you know, those are just like small features, but are huge for me. I still haven't finished that game and I refuse to. I'm not I'm not going to. I don't care what I don't care how progressive they say that a game is. I'm not playing it. Because they told me everything that they needed to tell me about how they value black lives when he was in the back of a police cruiser. So I'm just not. Oh. Um, <laughs> so don't Damn. play that one. I know I'm saying don't play a lot of games, but I'm not really saying that. Um, play all these games. Um, I'm trying to think of another game. Uh, Lincoln Clay from Mafia 3. Now, that was a pretty dope game. And I'm going to tell you why I thought that was a dope game. Um, they gave us like a post-Vietnam uh, narrative of black life in the South. And so first off, black life in the South, you know, we don't, we don't get that in the video game. You know, we, we don't get game, you know, usually if they're in, in, in New Orleans, you know, they're doing the traditional thing with New Orleans, you know, like with some voodoo narratives or, you know, they're trying to make it like really dark and not giving us like the real, you know, voodoo culture. They're not doing it right. Right. But I thought this was really cool because it put us, you know, into New Orleans. Uh, Lincoln, you know, has just been, you know, he just came home from Vietnam and, you know, he, him, just like, like other black men had very little to no options. You know, there were, you you know, concerns of like mental health and how, you know, so I thought it was like a pretty cool game. And the cool thing that, that Lincoln does in the game is he takes down the, the, basically the KKK. He takes, you know, the KKK has become like the, you know, um, I think drug, drug runner. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I could play a game and I could take down the KKK. Yes. Yes. You can. That's all I got to do is is Mafia 3. Mafia Three, absolutely. It's it's nine fifty. Is it nine dollars and fifty cents? Buy it, buy it now. When did it, when did it come Hanukkah. out? Happy Hanukkah, buy it right now. Kwanzaa, this is my Kwanzaa gift to myself. I love it. Buy I don't know right what day now. it is. <laughs> gift yourself, Kwanzaa. One of the days. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, listeners. I don't. You absolutely wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So this the whole this is like up. I've never. So I stopped playing video games when it, it became these type of games, right? Where you're just this character or whatever, because I do sports games. But this game, I, I'm just this black guy in the South, or do I have to be other people? No, you're him. The story revolves around him. You are him the whole time. 
but I just got Madden 21. Like, you can what play am both. I going to do? Okay. You, you take turns. Uh, you just take turns. How do you get four books out and then <laughs> and play video games and have children? This is why we had the podcast. This is You're not getting off. I'm not hitting stop recording until I figure that out. I know, right? <laughs> so I'm about to hit mine now for $9 and just like not do any work. You got to get it. Again. It's such a cool game. It is repetitive, you know, because, you know, you're taking when especially when the clan comes back, you know, you got to go back and take over the, you know, the area again and protect it again from them and stuff. So it, it, it it's redundant, but I'm going to tell you what's so amazing. The opening of that game is uh, Jimi Hendrix, the Watchtower, Clock Tower. I, I, don't want, I think I'm messing up the name, but it's that song, like mm-hmm. with that big heavy bass and, you know, that full of soul. Like, so I remember like sometimes before I would play, I would just, it would just be playing. And that song is just like playing like nonstop. It's so beautiful. Like the, just the sonic experience like of the game is really cool. And, you know, and they are giving like, you know, like, uh, you know, news reports, things that are happening, you know, like when you're listening to like the radio and stuff. So it's a really cool sonic experience, like too. So I check that one out. You got You got to check that one out. Um, All along the watchtower. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's the song, right? I want to make sure I'm not. I'm not saying that 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 wrong. Go- no, no, no. I just flipped through my vinyl to see the back of the Jimmy Hendrix vinyl, and it, that looks Look like it. Is that right? He wants to drop a. Just, I, he's yeah, going to drop a low tech. Everybody, he wants to do a low tech. You talk about high def stuff. I'm de- I'm still on vinyl. Okay, absolutely right. a beautiful. <laughs> absolutely, I love it. I love it so. Much. <laughs> I'm not to buy this game. You gotta buy it. You abs- and we have to have like a fo- yes, and we gotta have a follow up. Well, if you love well, that I, game, I, then he's most de- there. He's gonna love Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry. Ain't he? I got Freedom Cry on Switch because it was like twenty. It was like real cheap, and I got it like maybe. Oh my god, I might have bought it last uh, spring break, right before COVID hit or something, and then I didn't it? play it. <gasps> I tried and I was like, I couldn't kill no, like I was just stuck on a ship and I was like, I don't. It was a high tech. I'll play it tomorrow. Oh, it was too high tech. Okay. Like, but I got it somewhere and I'm trying to like convince my, can my kid play or is it too violent? Well, it just depends on the level of violence that you want your kids to be exposed to. And He's nine. And I, I would say it's okay because I think it actually gives like good, good history. You know, it's like the precursor to the Haitian revolution. Oh, you know? yeah, okay, so yeah. I, I, I thought it was like a good moment. Um, cause that's not what they get from slave narratives, right? They don't see black people win, you know, and, and, you know, cause like, I don't know. I, I have I have a problem with, you know, that that the genre of, you know, the slave genre, um, because usually it's not us like at the center of like the story. I know we're doing a lot better now. You know, I haven't watched Harriet. I'm sorry. I didn't watch 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> but I'm, I'm from the era. Whoa, of, like, whoa, I, I know. Okay. I know. Right. That lose my car. That yeah, lose my yeah, car. Right. That was a big. No, 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 that, no, was, no. that was like five years ago. She'd been gaming. She wait, wait, time out. She wait, 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 wait. I, 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 I got to ask you this question. No, 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 no. I got to have you have seen Five Heartbeats, right? Yes, I've seen Five Heartbeats. Okay, right, yes, <laughs> yes. So, there was a pause there, like, oh god, there was I have a pause. Seen Five Heartbeats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my god, I got nothing but love for you, baby. Oh, um. God. You, you. I think you'll like, you know, Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry. There are some clunky mechanics that are tough to like get through that like disrupt the flow of the game. But you know, there's always playthroughs. Like you don't have to play all these games. Like people have played them. Like, and I think that the era that we're in now, like I don't, I'll hop to YouTube and just like watch like the narrative of a game like play out like in its entirety. And then, um, so that that's like one of the ways that I'm able to get through like a lot of these games because sometimes it's just really like impossible to play. So think about when you're playing a game, you got to learn how to play. It's clunky. You lose your life. You have to come and it becomes repetitive. And for me, 
when I'm in like a mode, like a like an academic mode, that disrupts my the my the academic creativity. It, it disrupts the analyses. It disrupts like the 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 thinking. You know, I just want to like watch it like in a fluid motion. So you know, Assassin's Creed. You know, I did play it, but I had forgot so much of the narrative. So when when I went back through it to like like you know watch like a playthrough, um, you know, I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh yes, I remember that. You know, so I I. I put on like different hats when I'm playing games. Sometimes it's just purely entertainment purposes and sometimes it's like analytic purposes, you know? So um, I think that that's also, you know, cause some people, you know, ask me how is the thing that's my work, you know, is also like the thing that I love, but that's because I'm able to turn that off and then turn it back on. And, um, you know, I, I can imagine like, you know, movie scholars, you know, do the same, like some, you know, you might like, I love reality TV, you know, it's trash. It's awful, but you know, I can turn that off. You know, I can watch it and just laugh at, you know, like people just being crazy and ratchet. You know, but I understand my analytical side would say something totally different than my entertainment side, you know, like would say, you know, so it's um, it becomes work sometimes. You know, I think that's that's just the kind of point, you know, that that I'm trying to make. Um, but back back to the list. I want to make sure I know. I know. Are, are we are we about done? How how long do yeah, are we? Yeah. When you when you give us this last thing, we're gonna we're gonna hit stop because we try to be under an hour. Just I'm give so us, sorry. Give us this last thing, and then give us a Christmas game that we got to get. And then, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. All right, and we'll um, finish offline. Okay, absolutely. Um, uh, other other games to play. Oh my gosh, I can't even think of any other other cool Hit, Hitman. I love Hitman. It's not a black narrative. That's not what you want to hear right now. I'm trying to think of other good other good black narratives. See, it's not that many. Perna, Dead Island. You should play that because she's just amazing. Um, Resident Evil had 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 a good game. You know, they had like a black woman there. Um, that Shiva. I'm not sure if you all were like remember Shiva. There was some colorism happening like with Shiva though, because Shiva at first was a dark skinned woman. Then they transformed her into like a light skinned woman. So of course, you know, we we had some problems like with them. Like, come on, that colorism. Um, they just wouldn't sell her. Laura Croft. I think it's important. You know, I know she's not. She's you know Laura Croft. She's white. She's British. Right. Right. The original Laura Croft was Laura Cruz. Laura Cruz was South American. She was a South American adventurer. She was going to reclaim like indigenous artifacts and stuff. The the creators of Laura Croft didn't, or Laura Cruz, that then became Laura Croft, they didn't think that that narrative would sell to a British audience. So they whitened her up, gave her a white, white background, you know, elite background. And, you know, they kind of, you know, did that that whitewashing thing that they do to like a lot of characters. So, wow. um yeah, yeah we didn't know that. We did. We're learning stuff all the time. I'm learning something new. I bought a game. I'm learning something new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. My bad. Last question. I'm so sorry. I was talking way too much. How do we get this PlayStation 5? No, no luck. <laughs> no luck. There's no dice on that. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to do like everybody else doing. Just spam the button when Target say it's got some or Walmart say they got some. You just got to spam the button. But more than likely, you're not going to get one to March. I'm so sorry. Mm. All right. Well, that's good. We, me and Lou won't be playing until May anyway. So this is right in our time. This will be in our time frame. It's, it's our time. And then how about y'all invite me back? How about, and then we yeah, don't talk about these consoles. Sure. Yeah. We'll hop that? online and play. And then we just, oh. I don't know if my mic's fixed, but we'll play online and we'll just play. I yeah, so we we'll play I'm not going to play because I saw you play one time, Kishana, and you like murdered like 16 people. <laughs> 
and like Call of Duty in like 30 seconds. Before while I and I was like, I would still be looking at the buttons trying to figure out which yeah. way's up. And she does shot. I got you. But I got you. I'm a carry. I got you. I'm a carry the team. I'm just gonna be running. That's all my job is I'm, just I'm running. a Kobe this thing. Listen, I got it. I got y'all. <laughs> oh man. This has been a fantastic conversation about the world of esports and gaming. Thank you, Dr. Gray. Go out and buy intersectional tech. Put that on uh in your stock for your tech foe, uh, your tech foes, that's the wrong person, for your people who love technology, is a fantastic, fantastic, critical discussion about the way race and gender and sexuality operate in the world of technology and in gaming, uh, as well as her other books, Race, Gender, Deviance, and Xbox Live, Digital Challenges to uh, Oppression and Social Injustice, and Feminism in Play. Get the four book, get the platinum plan of Dr. <laughs> Gray books. <laughs> I love it. Platinum plan. Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you I for coming. So All right. Peace. All right. Peace.